kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives of feel good sounds. Oh, Betty in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. She's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on, too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh, Betty and the Jets Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have a quasi-theme. We have quite a few stories about getting caught with your pants down on the airplane and some other places. Uh, We have an air marshal story and a pilot talking about landing on an aircraft carrier, which I find very interesting. And, uh, Let's just get on with the show. I've talked about this before, but flight attendants are very concerned with getting to work and showing up for work because, you know, it only takes a couple times where you're uh, out of a job. So it's like a huge pressure, you know, (laughs) to get to work. And uh, this guy was telling me that um, he gets to work and his zipper on his pants broke. And, you know, you don't have a spare pair of work pants with you. Uh... So he went up to the duty desk, you know, we have like supervisors sitting in the crew lounge and uh, he's like, um, I don't know if I can go on my trip because my zipper's broken in my pants. You know, I can't really go three days, you know, with my fly down. So she's like, oh, OK. And she gives him like eight safety pins. And he's thinking, oh, great. <laughs> I said, well, how easy was that getting in and out of the bathroom? And he's like, it was a nightmare. <laughs> But, you know, he he was at work, and then I was, heard this other story, which I'm not surprised about at all, where this woman, flight attendant, going to work in her uniform, gets in a major accident, goes off of, like, a ramp, ends up upside down, like, hanging, like, only being held upside down by her, her uh, seatbelt, and the the police get there, and the paramedics, and, you know, they're they're... And she's going, turn the car over, turn it over. I have to drive to work. And they're like, "Uh, miss, I don't think you're thinking clearly. You were just in a car accident and you're upside down. She's like, turn the car over. (laughs) Only an airline person (laughs) can understand that. But (laughs) she's not like seeing if she has anything broken or bruised or bleeding. She's like, Turn the car over. I have to get to work. I'm not even sure how this came up. I was at work and uh, I think a passenger's fly was down. And I said to the other flight attendant, I said, oh, you know what's so funny is you say things when you're a child and you don't even get why it's funny or it's just something you say. You don't you don't you just don't think along certain lines when you're a kid and the amusement park where I grew up in Pittsburgh is Kennywood. Gosh, I loved Kennywood. I don't know if I really talked about it much on the podcast, but I uh, worked 
at Kennywood all through the summers during college and loved it. One of my favorite jobs ever. Loved working at the amusement park. And um, it's very social. There's a bunch of kids your own age there. It's fantastic, actually. Uh, But in Pittsburgh, there's a saying that when somebody zippers open, you say, Kennywood's open. (laughs) And so I just said it. I said it. forever not even thinking that what you're saying because somebody zippers down is you're saying the amusement parks opened (laughs) like I had no idea I just thought that's what you say when somebody zippers down Kenny what's open there was a woman on my flight attendant and she was rather you know Nicely endowed, and we had this older man on a flight, yeah. and he was sitting on the aisle, and he came out on a wheelchair. So she was, at, during the service, she leaned over him, and he, he squeezed one of her breasts. Oh, my gosh. And, and she went, sir. And he says, oh, Missy, it's so nice. <laughs> And she probably, she was laughing, and she says, I probably gave him the very last thrill of his life. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he does that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uses that. Don't touch me, feels too real. So I was working a flight to Europe, and I was working in first class, and you know, it's so nice up there. You know, you got your own pod, sipping champagne, five-course meal, uh... It's a real treat. When I sit up there, man, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm in hog heaven. So anyway, uh, we're just about finishing the service, picking up the meal trays. And uh, somebody on the other side that I wasn't working on rang their call bell, which doesn't happen that much in first class because, you know, we're so very attentive. There's a bunch of us working up there and, you know, nobody usually ever wants for anything. So uh, the call bell rang. So I was sort of surprised, went over there and the woman says, you need to take this tray away. I feel like I'm in prison. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And I wanted to say something, which of course I didn't. I zipped it, swallowed my tongue. But uh, I just, I I took the tray back and told the other girl on the other side, I'm like, she said she felt like she was in prison because her tray was still there. And the other flight attendant was like, I just walked by there not a minute ago and she was still chewing. So I didn't take her tray. So she had her tray for, God forbid, an extra minute. And she felt like she was in prison. And uh, what I would have liked to say is, oh, you're right. It is so like prison up here with your own pod and all your movies and your sipping champagne with a down pillow and comforter and five course meal. Yeah, sure. Bet a lot of people would say that's uh, just like prison. I was on a flight to Europe and uh, one of my first class passengers, uh, I just couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. And it really doesn't matter. But, you know, it's it's sometimes surprising if it, if it's really that ambiguous. So I get back to the galley and I ask the purser, I'm like, is that a man or a woman? And the purser's like, I don't know. I was wondering myself. And I'm like, huh. I couldn't tell by the voice. Voice was totally non-sexual. And uh, it, I hate to say that it, or shim, that's what we started calling it, was shim, like a she and a him, a shim. Uh she, he, Shim had uh, medium to big size hands, so you couldn't really tell if those were just small man hands or big female hands. Uh, you couldn't see an Adam's apple because 
Shim was a little heavy. Uh, we went and looked at the name on the manifest sheet, and that was just a first initial, so I couldn't tell. So by the end of the flight, we're talking, you know, nine-hour flight. I still never could figure out uh, what it was. Just a, just a Shim. Okay, so somebody's done something weird on your flight? Yes, they've tried to pierce their ears. They've cut their toenails in first class. You know who you are. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Pierce your ears? With what? What were they using? A safety pin. Coincidentally, I uh, a couple of weeks ago I was uh, on that flight with the um, first class passenger that I couldn't tell if it was a man or woman, and uh, another flight attendant had coined the phrase "it was a shim." And uh, wouldn't you know? <laughs> two weeks later, I'm in the lounge, and I I spend a lot of time in the lounge because I I commute and I have to make sure I get there. So you know, I have a lot of hours uh, in the lounge before my trip. So I was sitting at the computers talking to another flight attendant that I have flown with before. And another flight attendant comes up, not in uh, uniform yet. Uh, also probably a commuter, so some people are in uh, regular clothes. Anyway, uh, I look at her and I think, oh, ooh, she's, ooh, she's got like a little beard and I was thinking, oh, she must have some terrible facial hair problem. That's immediately what I thought of. But then I let it go. I didn't think much of it again. Uh, figured, you know, just seemed nice, smart. We were having a nice conversation between the three of us and uh, just forgot all about it. And then I go into the briefing room where we all get together and introduce ourselves and stuff. And here comes that same person in the men's uniform with a tie on. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I'm thinking my brain is slowly catching on that it's a transgender flight attendant. And it's actually my first transgender flight attendant that I've worked with. And I actually know of and have heard of several at the airline. I think now there's a couple in L.A., and there's a couple in New York, um, but I'd never flown with one. So the name is so hard because I was going to say her. It's really hard, and I had a hard time on the trip to keep getting it right. Uh, you know, things are blurry <laughs> these days, and they're just going to get blurrier. Uh, but the name on our paperwork was a female name, but he gave a nickname that could have gone either way. Uh, but he's in the men's uniform with the tie, so I'm assuming that he wants to go by he, right? So, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Whatever's, you know, whatever anybody wants. But we were on the plane for like 10 minutes when a passenger, because he was at the boarding door saying hello, right? Which confuses people. <laughs> And we were on the plane for 10 minutes, and a first-class passenger says to me, um, is that a ma'am or a sir? And I was like, well, it's probably open to interpretation, but I'm saying sir. And, you know, she was okay with that. And uh, 
I had some contact with him, and uh, he seemed very nice, upbeat, in a good mood. So, hey, you know, that was all fine with me, you know. Uh, just interesting because it was the first time I had worked with a transgender person. Okay, so then it got blurrier on the way home because one of the other flight attendants was sick. She must have eaten something or got a bug or had food poisoning, and she had thrown up, and I think she was having some diarrhea. You know, it's just like the worst I've had it on the plane. Nothing like food poisoning on the plane. It's just horrible. And I've actually, uh, I've passed out from food poisoning. I actually passed out. You get so dehydrated. It's, you know, it's dangerous um, that I fell into the tub, took down the shower curtain with me. And when I came to, I was thinking, why am I in the tub? I mean, this is many years ago. And uh, so anyway, this flight attendant's sick. And then midway through the flight home from Europe, a passenger screams, help, 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 help. I need help. Uh, I wasn't, I was up in first class, so I didn't hear the help yelling. Uh, I just uh, heard a call bell and then looked out in the aisle and saw a bunch of people congregating around the bathroom and just immediately assumed it was a medical thing. So I went running back there and it turned out it was the flight attendant that she had passed out in the lavatory with her pants down and the passenger had opened the door which wasn't locked and found her on the floor um their pants down and uh, screamed help 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 which was exactly what she should have done anyway it turns out that transgender flight attendant is an emt and wants to be a doctor and was the first one to find the sick flight attendant and jumped in there and like was the most amazing wonderful compassionate human being caring uh uh she had it coming out both ends and this he went so above and beyond the call of duty and was just such a wonderful, caring, compassionate, empathetic, just a fantastic person, basically. I mean, but I was thinking, uh, we ended up having to page a doctor, we had to have an IV, um, it was a whole to-do, right? Um, but I was thinking to myself, huh, you know, a couple things. Well, the airline, first of all, hired a her and now has a him. I guess they're okay with that. You know, times are changing. <laughs> like I said, things are going to get blurrier and blurrier. But the thing I was thinking that was interesting is that, you know, we like to give people labels and put people in a box. And like like before on another flight where I just was so curious whether it was a female or a male, but you know, really doesn't matter. I guess really, I hadn't thought too much about it really until this incident. And it really doesn't matter fantastic human being is a fast, fantastic human being, regardless of what gender they were born or what gender they want to be. Anyway, what I was thinking was that female flight attendant that was sick was totally fine having him in the bathroom with her when her pants were down and she was having diarrhea. And uh, I don't think that most likely she would have been okay with a, um, I don't know how to put this, politically correct with like a, a original man <laughs> like a man who was born a man she probably wouldn't have been comfortable with having someone like that in the bathroom but since this was a woman transitioning to a man she was totally fine with it so I guess you know our labels and our boxes are all basically gonna have to get thrown out the window as we go along further down this road and my bottom line is a fantastic human being is a fantastic human being and who cares if it's a man or a woman, a he or she or a shim? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Lay me on a cloud.
was uh, wheeling. There, this this lady was being wheeled on the plane, yeah. and she we're going to Kingston, Jamaica. She bent over to get up, and her dentures <laughs> fell out. <laughs> uniform vendor changed hands and the new uniform dress I don't like it it's kind of um there's too much material it's kind of puffy um I think it's not very flattering so I had all these old uniforms and um they fit great it's just they're a little faded uh they get a little faded like around the shoulder and um on the sort of lapel area I think because of maybe the um seatbelt in my car probably has a lot of uh sunscreen on it from driving to the beach or also maybe the um the seatbelt harnesses on the jump seats anyway it just gets a little faded but the uniforms fit great and they look nice it's just they've got these faded areas so I thought okay well I'm gonna go look for some of that dye you know I'll, I'll try to dye them and I did that and boy that took a long time it's like in the sink and rinsing and rinsing and rinsing and and then washed them, and then they were just still faded. <laughs> the parts that were faded were still faded. So I was like, oh, darn, huh, what am I going to do now? What else could I try to just make these certain parts a little darker? And so then I thought, huh, what about shoe polish? And guess what? <laughs> Works like a charm. <laughs> now the uniforms look great, and, uh, you know, nobody knows that I have a shoe polish uh, on my uniform, because, you know, that's just uh, classy. Uh, you know the drill. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, it would be so, so nice of you to go to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, click on the Amazon ads. It doesn't cost you anymore, and it supports the show. Uh, this month, somebody bought a Jimmy Cricket vinyl decal, uh, a Paint Your Wagon DVD, and a Dragon Pad Pop Filter Studio microphone. Or, you know, if you need any um, shoe polish to... <laughs> fix up your uniforms. That'd be good on Amazon. And I'd also like to thank uh, Thorsten for the generous PayPal donation. That was really nice of you, Thorsten. And plus, that's a great name. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, consider going to my website, bettingthesky.com. It supports the show. And I thank you so very much. That's right. So anyway, I was doing a domestic trip the other day, and we were in Atlanta to Savannah. And I went. I was waiting at the front door while the uh, uh, a line was doing drinks or whatever. And and this person walked by me, and I didn't notice him until I went back. I said, "Well, I'll go check the emergency exits to make sure they were brief." And, and I looked over at this guy by the window, and I said, "I looked up, and it was Bill Murray. You know, the actor Bill Murray." Oh, Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's really? such a crazy guy. Yeah. You know, and just a. He's so funny looking, you know, you just laugh at him just by looking at him. And I said, oh, hey, you know, like, you know, so, you know, I recognize him. And, and he says, yes, I'm fine sitting here. And there was the NPC next to him, and then there was somebody else. He said, yes, I'm fine sitting yes, here? Yes, uh-huh. And so he was fine. And, and um, he had been out to Pebble Beach to play in that um, uh, celebrity pro-am that he plays. You always see him on TV on that, that golf tournament, acting crazy. But anyway, so anyway, there was this little girl she'd just been flying like six months and her father was a flight attendant too in fact i flew with him last That's week to go to amsterdam, lot, no. amsterdam. Yeah. anyway she just about had a fit when she saw him he went to he went back to the restroom on the ground and he she was like accosting him right outside the bathroom and you know he was real nice and then he took a selfie with him and she was all excited 
But anyway, and then he slept the whole way. You know, he was just slumped down in his seat. His little belly was sitting there. You know, he just had these tacky clothes on, you know. It was just so funny. And then when we got off, the captain was kind of wanting to see him. So the captain was standing out in the jetway. And, and you know, he walks off, and, and the captain's standing there, and, and he goes, Oh, thank you for the great flight. And then he's like in the jetway, and then he goes, he, he like he walked to that side of the jetway. It's like, like he walked into the sides of the jetway. Yeah, yeah, and then he turns around like you know, like, like this, and then he, you know, he just. But was he joking or is he really? No, he was the just being funny, I think. But he is such a fun. I mean, that's what I'm yeah. saying. It was mostly physical thing right. that was so funny. But he's just such a. Well, that was a treat, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a treat. They're trying to get me to say things, aren't you? No, that's good. It's but, a it, treat. but it was like, yeah. you know, he was just such a, a funny fellow. He just, lived up to your expectations. He did. He just did. He did. flight to go to Amsterdam and there was a new flight attendant, a new hire. I just love them. They're so enthusiastic and pretty. <laughs> um, and I see her, what looks like arguing with a passenger. So I figure I'll go and help, you know, I have more experience. <laughs> I'll fix this. So uh, it turns out they weren't arguing, but there was a man. He wasn't very, he was like 50 40s, 50s, sometimes hard to tell. And uh, he, he wasn't arguing per se, but he was confused. And he was saying to her, um, so this flight goes to Washington. And she's like, no, we're not going to Washington. We're going to Amsterdam. And he's like, uh, but I'm going to pick up my bags in Washington. And she's like, no, we're going to Amsterdam. And then he's pointing to the overhead bin and he said, and so this is where I pick up my bags here. I pick up my bags that I checked here. And he's pointing to the overhead bin and she's like, did you put bags in the overhead bin? And he said, no. And then she's like, well, then you don't, you don't pick them up there. It was like he thought that that was going to be the conveyor belt for the luggage would be in the overhead bins. So I'm thinking, okay, is he drunk? Is he on something? Or is he mentally challenged? You know, you, you can't tell by looking at people uh, what they have going on. Or is he just uh, weird? <laughs> so she says, very logically, she said, let me see your boarding pass. Because she's thinking maybe he's supposed to be going to Washington and we're going to Amsterdam. <laughs> so his boarding pass says Amsterdam and then he keeps going on and he's like so it's like an hour and a half flight and she's like no it's almost nine hours because we're going to Amsterdam he's like but we're going to Washington she's like no Amsterdam and so apparently uh, I went up and asked um and at the boarding door and they said yeah the agent was already having this exact same conversation with the man you know Amsterdam Washington no, not Washington, Amsterdam. Uh, and they had checked his bags because he kept saying he's going to pick up his bags in Washington. So maybe he thought he was connecting in Washington. But no, 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 no. His bags are checked to Amsterdam. So he finally would get him to sit down. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, hmm, hmm. And then we're doing the beverage service. And uh, some passengers, too, rose back, say to me, uh, so are we getting close to Washington yet? Because <laughs> they had witnessed the whole shebang and then at one point during the flight he goes up to uh, first class and he says to the flight attendant up there he goes 
this is the dang longest flight to Washington I've ever been on. Okay, so something else happened. Well, I was going to say first, first carrier landing in the Navy when you're a student. So basically, by the time it's you go through, so by the time you go through training, um, and you get ready for your first carrier call, you have about 250 hours total time of flying time. So you're not a whole lot of uh, flight time and experience. But you, you do a lot of. On a boat. Yeah, you got to go land on the carrier. So you do a lot of practice on the land. Obviously, a lot of touch and goes. After every training flight, you come back, do touch and goes, and they have a carrier box that's painted on the runway. And um, they have a landing system that helps you do kind of like a glide slope into that carrier box, simulate you know the size of what your landing zone would be on a carrier deck. Well, on a carrier deck, you got four wires, and each wire is 40 feet apart, so your landing distance is 120 feet. Whereas in the airline, when we land on a you know 9,000 foot runway, they want you in the first third, so you got 3,000 feet to land the airplane. So you go from like that kind of 3,000 feet where they want you down to. 120 Crazy. feet on a boat that's moving. And it's moving. And it's moving. So you can train as much as you want on the shore, but there's there's a bunch of conditions that is just unique to being on the boat that you can't ever simulate, not even in a simulator. So first time you go to the boat, you take off as a four-plane formation. You have a uh, an instructor as a lead pilot, and you have three student solos on his wing, and he brings you out to the carrier, which is about 100 miles off the shore. So this is the first time you've really flown over a significant amount of water, you're going out to the boat and you're solo and all for the very first time. So the, get overhead the boat and you get you hang out for a few minutes and then when the boat's ready for you to come land, they give a Charlie signal to the, uh, the lead who brings you down and sets you up what we call an overhead pass, called the break. Okay. So you'll come in about three miles behind the boat at 800 feet above the water and you come in and for, just to start with, you come in about 350 knots and they lead you up just to the uh, right side of the boat and then you break in formation so you kind of just you know the lead breaks then a, you know a few seconds later the second guy breaks the third guy breaks fourth guy breaks and you're pulling downwind to a pattern so you're going from 350 knots you're pulling the idle you're pulling the speed brakes out you're decelerating as you're pulling G's through a level turn roll out downwind at 800 feet and then you start descending down to 600 feet. So by the time you hit the fan tail of the boat, you start a uh, you start at about a 28 degree angle bank turn, put a three to 400 per minute rate of descent coming around. And as you finish through the turn through about 190 degrees, you start increasing that rate of descent to about six to 800. So as you keep that angle of a bank all the way in, when you roll out behind the ship, you should be about a quarter of a mile behind the ship and right on the glide slope. There's a little lens system on the boat that tells you, you know, if you're high or low on the glide slope, and now you're working to come in towards your landing area. Well, here's an interesting thing. Okay. On the boat, the landing area is angled. It's not straight up and down the axis of the Why ship. Why is it angled? Well, <clears throat> that's so airplanes can take off and land because okay. you got all the other airplanes parked on the deck. So they're all parked up on the forward part of the ship or kind of off to the back of the side tail. So that angled deck allows you to do continuous flight operations and have parked aircraft up there. So what's interesting is, is the, the, uh, the deck is angled on the ship, so as the ship moves forward, your landing zone is constantly moving to the right. So you're in a right-hand descending turn that's constant. And then the boat also moves up and down with the water, but it doesn't just do it straight up and down, it does it in what's called a Dutch roll. And a Dutch roll is kind of an up and down, side-to-side -side swaying motion. So depending upon the sea state, 
So if you have an eight foot, say like you have an eight foot sea state, deck's moving up eight feet, back to level, down eight feet. So there's 16 feet of deck movement. So as you're rolling around and you're trying to get your glide slope coming down, it's, it's programmed to give you about a 14 foot clearance over the back end of the boat. So as you're coming in, you're, 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 you're constantly, your landing zone's moving to the right. The ship's moving up and down in a, um, in a Dutch roll motion. And um, it's moving up and down in Dutch roll motion. Then you're coming down. And to make things even more complicated, the wind comes over and hits the conning tower on the boat. It gets turbulent right over the back end. That wind comes off the carrier deck, hits the water, and comes up in a rooster tail. So the best way in, yeah. So it's a it, the best way to describe it is a mini microburst, like a storm draft that comes down. Okay. Um, if you go and you you Google microburst, you know those are really bad things where you can get a downdraft real close to the to the ground. So in order to fight that, you have to add power on the airplane to keep to keep from uh, losing that and getting that downdraft coming in. And right before you hit the back end of the ship, that downdraft goes away. And now you're kind of get got to anticipate getting the power back, so you don't go overpowered and miss all the wires. You're right, keep going. But you don't want to under miss it too, because then you could fly down through and hit the back of the ship. So it's a very fine window that you're coming in. Yeah. So then you got that 120 foot area, and they're targeting the third wire in. So really, the last 80 feet is where that landing zone is for that glide slope, with all those conditions going on. How'd you do on your first time? Uh, well, you do a couple touch and goes just to kind of get your your bearings, just get used to actually coming in and come on the ship, and then you come around for the uh, for my very first pass. I was a little high, I caught the fourth wire, but for a first pass, that's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. But let me tell you, it gets the adrenaline pumping so yeah. much that it's you're just I mean you're you're nervous, you're you're excited, your adrenaline's pumping. It's it's scary, but it's just amazing, and it's just I mean the amount of motions that just go into it is just unbelievable. Your adrenaline's pumping so hard, your hands are literally just shaking, and you're, you just, yeah. So then this really is cool this airliner stuff's boring compared. To it's just different. <laughs> it's just different. It's just, I put it this way, you know, a, a, a military aircraft, you're kind of like in NASCAR driving around yeah. the racetrack, yeah. you know, and you got a little car that's really maneuverable. You come, you come to an airliner, and you're basically taking an 18-wheeler around the same racetrack. It's just, it's just different. flight and I'm talking to an air marshal and uh, he was sort of you know the military type sort of a big guy uh, man of a few words but I I can manage to get most people to chat and um, we started talking and I think we started talking about customs and immigration officials and how they are usually men of few words and also don't have much of a sense of humor I think I told the story about how I had accidentally checked the Ebola question and was afraid a net and bleach was going to come down on me. And so lots of times when I tell a story, then someone will tell their own story. And that's sort of how I try to warm people up for the podcast. And uh, the air marshals, though, gosh, they, I don't know if it's their training or whatever, but I bring out that that recorder and they back away faster than anything. They don't want to be recorded. Even if it has nothing to do with security or anything, they just... They aren't playing. <laughs> so anyway, but they'll he'll tell he, he'll tell me a story, but he's not gonna let me record it. So uh, he said that he was going through customs, and the customs guy asked the obligatory question. Uh, so how long were you 
how long were you gone? And he said, 24 hours. Being a man of few words. And uh, the guy goes, uh, the official goes, well, what were you doing over there? He goes, I slept. And then the official goes, you're telling me you flew to Europe for 24 hours, slept, and flew back. And the guy's like, yeah. He does it all the time. <laughs> so the official says, uh, well, we're going to be here a long time. And the air marshal says, why? <laughs> like, they are on such different pages because the official's thinking he's suspicious. So then he goes, well, what do you do for a living? And he goes, well, I'm an air marshal. And then the official goes, well, why didn't you tell me that? And the air marshal goes, well, you didn't ask. <laughs> That's what happens when you get two men who are men of very few words. attendant when I was 21 years old and it was really my first time being away from home. I grew up in a rural um, Florida town and I always went to the same Catholic church with my family. So one of my very first trips all by myself in the big city of Las Vegas was on Christmas Eve, December the 24th of course. And I had to go to church because that's what you do on December the 24th, regardless of where you are. So I went, I found a church in Las Vegas and I went to church at mass at night. And it was a beautiful little church and candles were lit. And it was just exactly what you would expect on Christmas Eve. Except everybody in there except for me were in there praying for good luck. It was clear that most of them could not even follow the Mass or the ritual of the standing up and sitting down, which is quite confusing to people that go to Mass, but really confusing to somebody who has not ever been in a Catholic church, except when their luck has turned sour on the Vegas Strip on New Year's, (laughs) on Christmas Eve. So I've been asking people, uh, just curious, seeing if it was going to turn into something interesting. I've been asking people, so uh, if I said to you, Kennywood's open, what would you think that would mean? And so far, I've mainly got an answer like, oh, <laughs> so it's kind of a wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so when I was asking people if they to guess what Kennywood's open meant and nobody seemed to know and I didn't get any funny answers except for when I told the one girl what it meant oh I'm like it means somebody's flies open and that you, you know the the amusement park is open and she goes oh oh so Kenny's wood is showing and I'm like oh well yeah that's that's right technically correct but I don't think that was part of the uh, original saying but then uh Flying back from London, uh, had another medical, seems like, gosh, these long-haul flights, it's like there's some medical situation on every second or third flight. It's scary. Uh, I think it's just, you know, people are out of their comfort zone, they're tired, you know, it's 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 tiring flying on a long flight. But this woman uh, was having heart palpitations, and we had her on oxygen, and um we're now almost to landing, and the woman, the flight attendant who had been dealing with her most uh, needed to get up and do something. So she's like, will you sit with her for a while? And I'm like, sure. So I'm sitting there, and she's got her oxygen on, and her color's starting to look a little better. And uh, I asked her um, uh, if she had another flight to go on, because, you know, that's important, because she's having heart palpitations and feeling dizzy, and, you know, does she have to go to you know, another four-hour flight, and she takes the oxygen mask off, and she goes, I have to go to Pittsburgh, and puts the oxygen mask back on. And I was like, oh! <laughs> and I just couldn't help but take the opportunity. And I said, uh, hey, do you, 
do you know what it means when you say Kennywood's open? And she starts laughing in in her oxygen mask. <laughs> she knew what I was talking about. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Hey, kids, when you fly together, she'll tell you where she's been and tell you where she's going. You'll have some fun, so why not come along? Belts are fastened for takeoff and the signal is strong. Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes, got her wings on too, you know. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.